The experience of talking with Kiana, Corinne, and Nicole was more powerful than anything I could have imagined. Our families have been so close for so long, and I'm so glad I got to use this opportunity to deepen our relationship. They all had so much insight and taught me so much, but the most surprising part of this whole experience was the emotions I had throughout the process. There were several times where I felt myself choking back tears or fighting back rage because of how they had been treated. I felt so much grief for their ancestors and their family in a way that I've never experienced before. And it all came from this place of complete love for Kiana and Corinne and Nicole. This is the first time I've ever felt what it meant to step into the space in between and I can honestly say it's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. I'm so thankful for this conversation and I can't wait to use what I've learned in my future practice as a school counselor. For my final, I am interviewing Kiana, Corinne, and Nicole Tyler. Nicole is a close friend of my adopted mother's. She has known our family my whole life and was actually one of the few people I saw after my brother passed away. Nicole and my mom met as campers at the camp I now run in the summer, where I get to have Kiana and Corinne as campers. Nicole identifies as white, Kiana identifies as black, and Corinne identifies as mixed. Kiana and Corinne's father is a descendant of slaves from the Sudan, and their last name, Tyler, comes from the slave owner, President James Tyler, who was a particularly brutal slave owner and owned their family at one point. I decided to interview the Tylers for this project because I have such a close relationship with them and because I thought it would be really helpful as a future school counselor to talk with middle schoolers about their experiences with racism. In this interview, I we discuss the girls' family history, their experiences with racism, their thoughts on white privilege, and their experiences in the school system. What is it like to know that your ancestors were slaves and were treated the way they were? I think it's more, it's definitely wrong, but I think it's interesting that I have that culture inside of me, that I get to learn about it more. Yeah. Because, like, when I was little, I was more interested in it because I would read pro- read books and do projects on it to learn more about it because I'm not connected with that side of the family, so no one is able to teach me, so I have to teach myself. I think it's a pretty cool opportunity to learn about. How do you feel about it? I don't like that it was so long ago and people still don't get treated the same way. Corinne, you made a face. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's like that people like they don't like it was like so long ago well not that long ago but like a pretty long time ago and um people like they just like don't care to understand about it like they don't make an effort to learn anything and they just like go on the old, with the old ways without thinking about anybody else or making an effort to change and the fact that people aren't willing to learn about it and they're not willing to make the change or even in some cases, acknowledge all the pain that your ancestors went through? Does that yeah. make you angry or sad or 
it's frustrating to know that all of our ancestors went through so much to learn and be free and no one now even wants to acknowledge it. Like they just want to say, oh, it was in the past, doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, the prevailing thought these days, you know, it's like the whole like all lives matter thing. The prevailing thought is kind of racism is done, get over it. It's a lot to get over. Someone's told me before, like if we were like learning about something, or like I was like ex trying to explain something to them, they'd ask like, why do you care so much? Like you're only mixed, like you're half, so why don't you just like go with the white side instead of like learning about the black side and stuff? There's like, almost this expectation that if you're mixed, like, and I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, your success in life is not based on how fast you become white. It's almost this double-edged sword that if you're, if you become successful, it's that you somehow got over the black, you overcame the black, you know, that you were raised by white people or you were taken in by, you know, or if you don't succeed, then it's because you're black. Yeah. Like that it's one way or the other. It's never that you're just this individual person. I feel like it's stupid that even if you are like 50%, it's not enough to be black because people still think, say you can't say you're black, you're mixed. You don't have the, you don't have the kinky hair, you have the curly hair. And especially since we were raised by just our mom, it's, I feel like it's not enough for everybody else. So kind of like you're not white enough to be with the white people and you're not black enough to be with the black people. Exactly. Yeah, so my parents will have them in public and, you know, say they run into a coworker or something. These are my beautiful granddaughters. But say they do get in trouble for something. Say they break the law or they're shot during a traffic stop or any of these other terrible things that you see, how fast would they be black then? Yeah. If they go to jail, the first thing that these ignorant people in our life would say is, well, you know, they're black when they're talking at the dinner table about, you know, a book that they've read or a movie that pertains to them. And then it's, well, you're white too. Almost like the, the good parts of you get to be attributed to the fact that you're white and any bad parts are because you're black. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's like fetishism because you're allowed to say that they're pretty, you know, you're allowed to say, not even that you're allowed to, but people would, you know, or that they're so tall or they're so curvy or they have such beautiful skin tone, these things that are very veiled fetishism of the things that they like about blackness. And then you're almost not allowed to talk about the things that they don't like about blackness. And that's what the biggest fight I ever got in with my family was on Facebook. I think it was during Ferguson and Corinne was like five and she was holding a picture and she had her hands up and this and it said, I matter. That's yeah. all this was and my aunt wrote under it and she wrote her white side matters too there's so much to take in with all of this and like knowing the struggle between having both identities and not really feeling welcomed by either group um how does that make it harder for you to be yourself i feel like it's true because there's no one at my school who i can relate to there's like probably two other black kids in my grade. And so I don't have anyone who I can just like 
be that person around because everyone else is white and everyone else doesn't care or they just get it like they don't get why it's important to have just not to relate exactly to them like it's more important to them that you're like them instead of even have a small part of yourself that they don't understand and that's she said how she said just understanding that it's important that's kind of the key thing for anyone to know is not that you don't have to understand what it's like to be black you don't have to understand the specific threats but you need to know that it's important that you, it's important to be black for a black person it's important to just like when i was telling chris i was like you can ask these things you know like they're happy to like people will tell you about themselves it's like just know that it's important to them to be black it's important to them to have their stories told it's important for them to feel beautiful when they get their hair done the same way that we do when we get but and it's like no you don't have to know everything you don't have to know what to say or what to read but just know that it's important to them to be seen that's like yeah. literally the only thing when somebody's telling you like if she's talking about her family you know her dad's side or something you don't have to go oh well are they like really black you know <laughs> or like the stereotype that all black kids don't have a dad like that's true for us but he was he tried to be in our lives yeah i have got asked a lot like just by random people like if like i was just like just at with my mom like a school event or something they've, they've asked me like do you not have a dad like where's your dad like, do you not see him? Just like out of nowhere, people I've like, never talked to. Um, I get asked if I'm just, if like, especially when they were little, if I was just at the park with them and somebody, say a mom came up to start a conversation, at some point they're going to ask me whether their dad's a part of their life. And then it's worse that I even have to say no because I feel even being a deadbeat dad, there's so much structural history there. The white slave owners were the original deadbeat dads, um, that it, it's hundreds of years of intentional breaking down of a family unit. Um, but so they'll ask if their dad's a part of their life. I get asked, not nearly as much, but more than it ever should have happened. I get asked if they have the same dad, which you would never ask a mom of two white kids that. I've been asked whether they, or just whether they know their dad. Oh, that's so gross. So, as like a woman and a mom, like that is- I don't have to explain to anybody. No happened that's a and that's like implying to like shame or something yeah. too uh, i think that that goes back to like the fetishism too yeah oh do you think like i i intentionally like found a black guy to have like a one-night stand with or something to create these beautiful children you know that makes me sick to my stomach do you guys know what you you know what historical racism historic uh historical trauma do you guys know what those are yeah it's something that I've kind of been exploring with Brandon, at, like, since everything happened. And so just, like, more understanding of, like, why he was the way he was. And even though he was not a great person for a while, there were good parts. And kind of, like, exploring that pattern of behavior down my mom's side and how that led to who he was. And it's given me some comfort with him not at all that I'm saying you should have comfort with your dad or I don't know, I'm not going to assume what your relationship is, but do you feel like seeing that you're seeing that with your dad too? Well, I think that it obviously he could have like tried a little bit harder. It, obviously though he did. Obviously it probably wasn't 
like his history like as when he was like little it probably was different for him the way he grew up with his parents that probably played a factor in it were your grandparents together when he was growing up they're still together oh they're still together okay I don't know why I assumed that they split up at some point. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, his mom grew up in Mississippi, and she's a hard lady. She is rough. Um, but from what I understand, Mississippi in 1952 was the same as Mississippi in 1852. Mm. Um, and she was obviously a caregiver for him growing up. So we yeah. talk a lot about things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think she literally grew up in a shack. And to the point that I don't know much about it, she would, if you were asking her questions about herself, she would talk about these far back historical things more than she would talk about whatever <laughs> happened to her growing up. I, I think that they went through a lot that we'll never understand. And I think that, and I know that she was never very nurturing or loving. Um, I remember one time he told me, he's like, I've never heard my mom tell me she loves me. But that's so the time and the place, you know, or I believe that her parents, I think either her mom or her grandmother was born into slavery. Still, yeah. must have been her grandma. And then, you know, became free as somewhere around a child. But those things stay. You don't become a nurturing, loving mom who sings and cuddles your baby and reads books to them when your mother was literally in bondage. Yeah. Oh, that's so... And like, I don't even have words for it. You're supposed to get over it. <laughs> what do you think of white privilege? I think people, um, people obviously like the same people who don't want to learn about like um, African heritage and stuff. They feel like because now like people, it, obviously it's not as bad now that they think that just because like we can, like we can go outside and go to the store, buy something just the same as a white person can, that they don't understand that it's different in the way that like we could be treated differently like in a job interview or like just like on the streets, like if we were to go to, if we were to get arrested, obviously we would get charged with a lot higher than a white person. They don't, they don't take those kind of things into consideration. They just think that because we can like be on the streets and like, you know, like buy things, like stuff like that as the same as them, they think it's, the, it's there's no white privilege. I feel like the same kind of like people who have a lot of white privilege, the basic white family with the two parents together, the big house, like they don't understand that they have so much more pr privilege than everybody else. Like they can get, the, like what Corinne said, they can get hired more easily. They get off easier. Everyone, no one judges them. No one asks these questions that we get asked. And I feel like they just don't realize that. And it's the same people who are saying, oh, white privilege doesn't exist. You guys are just mad about something that happened 300 years ago. One of the common, especially right now with everything that's going on, one of the common, this is another one of those like talk baits of theirs mm -hmm. regarding white privilege, that a poor white person will argue that there's no white privilege because they'll say, I live in a trailer in Oklahoma, you know, my mom's on meth. I grew up in foster care. Yes, you may have had a really hard life. Nobody's saying white privilege doesn't mean that your life is hard. I think that's the people, when people hear, it's almost like, 
I wish there was a softer saying for it as the just the term white privilege puts people on defense right away. What it kind of comes down to is that you're not saying your life isn't hard if you're white. We absolutely believe it probably was. We're yeah. saying it's not hard because you're white. That's that, I like even up until like last year, I really struggled with because it just didn't fit. Like, yeah, because like, you don't come from a privileged life. Yeah. That you belong to a privileged group of people. Yeah. And I didn't have like the. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, my life wasn't hard because I'm white. Yeah. You, was, you would still be more likely to survive a traffic stop than they would to be judged more favorably in a criminal court than they would. And that's what we mean by privilege. We don't mean that you automatically get the white picket fence and the soccer mom suburban because you're white. In fact, <laughs> and if we get that side to understand that part, I feel like that there will be so much more middle ground because they think I'm struggling. I'm struggling so bad. I'm on food stamps, you know, all these things. And everybody's talking about the black people and how about hard they have it. It's like, we get that it's hard for everybody. We also get that there deserves to be some acknowledgement for the fact that slave owners ended up getting paid reparations instead of the slaves. I did not know that. That's absolutely disgusting. Because the thought was, while it's not fair to have however many people enslaved, it's also not fair to send all of the owners into bankruptcy for taking away their labor system. I'm learning so much and also just like feeling a lot of rage and sadness and yeah, lots of things. I'm an emotions thing over tomorrow. After talking about the girls' experiences with their heritage and with white privilege, we started to talk a little bit more about their experiences with racism. Like, Usually it's just things where like people don't understand that they're being like ignorant or that like I might take offense to it. Usually it's with my hair. People like always ask to touch it or like why it looks like that, like why it, why it's like that without thinking about what it means or like why it's different than other people's. They just like ask it because they feel like they're being funny, but it's like it me actually means something that it's different. What does it mean to you that your hair is different? Um, I feel like it means obviously since I'm mixed, it shows more of my black side instead of just being like straight hair it's like different and it's unique i feel like people would automatically assume that i hate my hair and they always ask like how long does it take you to do your hair or, or why do you like put effort into it or something like that but i like it more because it's you it's obviously doesn't look like a lot of other people's that i'm around and i can like do more things with it and it can be more unique and special to me I feel kind of the same as Corinne, like I'm more proud of it because I was shown that love as a kid, especially with my mom. She took the time to care and learn about everything. Like she did our hair when we were younger. She did the braid, she straightened it when we wanted it to. And even my grand, my dad's mom, like the times we did go over to her house, she wasn't fake about it. Like she'd do our hair too. She'd show us these stuff 
this stuff that we wouldn't see if we were with our mom all the time. I feel like it's not that bad since we're not dark because people, they tend to think if you're darker, it's worse because we're lighter, but like kids at school still make fun of me for my hair and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I've been called the slave at school before because people just don't get it. I like just want to take a minute and like, what the fuck? Sorry. <laughs> no other words for that. I cannot believe a kid said that to you. Yeah. And he, he wasn't even white. He was Asian too. And we were like, yeah. And he, he just like kept saying, and I was like, you got to stop. And it was so stupid. He thought it was funny. He thought it was funny. Yeah. But what do, do you think he was doing it to be mean or do you think he was doing it because he wanted to be funny? I think he thought it was funny and he just didn't get it that it was offensive. Yeah. And then what he said after that. Oh, and then, he, and then I was like, you can't say that. And then he was like, why not? Not, not all black people were slaves. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. He was like, not... And I was like, that's offensive because my ancestors were slaves. And he was like, no, they weren't. Not everyone was slaves. Were slaves. But, yeah. What? I, okay, sorry. That's just, I still cannot, did any adults see that happen? No one, no one saw it happen. No one, like, heard it. It was just me. Do you feel like if an adult had been present, like someone, a teacher in your school, do you think they would have stepped in? Um... Probably, but not like super seriously. Just when just would have been like knock it off. Like depend on the teacher. I was gonna say I believe if it was a culturally diverse teacher situation at that school, which it's not, I don't think there are actually anybody of anything other than white at the school. Oh, apparently they have a black choir teacher. But I that's a situation where a racially diverse or a white person with experience in racially diverse situations would know to calm that situation down. Yeah. To hear the word the first time and say, stop it. We absolutely don't say that. We'll tell you why you don't. Whereas, you know, some old lady that has never been around anybody but white people go, oh, he didn't mean it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I was telling, we have a friend who's the principal at one of the middle schools here, uh, Ebony, and mm -hmm. she's black. Um, and I was texting her about it and she was like, oh my God. So that's something where if she was the vice principal of Kiana school, Kiana could have known, you know, to safely tell someone like that. And they would know, first of all, that Kiana's response was appropriate or, or at least understand why there was a heightened sense of physical needs. Yeah. Um, and to know how offensive it is. Yeah. We don't have a word that equals that. Mm -mm. And they'll say, oh, well, you could say this. It's like that. People will say, well, it's just like saying cracker. I don't get it offended when you say cracker. It's not the same. Mm -mm. And so until you understand, like, how the level those things are, you know, it's, it's all first-person experience. Yeah. So in this, because I wanted to go to the school and Kiana was saying, no, I'm going to get in trouble for hitting him. You know, it's going to turn to a huge he said, she said. That's a situation where... If I had a black teacher in my phone on speed dial, style, you could say, hey, he said these things, and then she hit him. And then you would have more, it's almost like you, 
have to have a person, like a teacher of color to hear, like to validate the fact that that hurt and that was offensive. Yeah, Yeah. to like understand it because other people just wouldn't get it. Yeah. Can I ask you what it felt? Like, what did you feel when he said that to you? I was just like in complete shock because he really just thought it was funny. Like, and it wasn't like we were alone. There was like, there were so many people around us and he just thought it was okay. I was mostly shocked and then he kept doing it when I was asking him to stop which made me mad because it was a serious situation yeah joke about even if we were friends which we're not so you were more mad that he didn't stop and you did try to like take that effort to be like hey this is why you shouldn't say those things you tried to give him that grace and space yeah and then he didn't stop and that's when he got mad and hit him yeah and he just he really just didn't get it. He was like, why, why, why is it not a bad thing? He just wasn't trying to understand either. And then the comment that was like, not everyone was a slave was like tipping point. There's sometimes this weird pressure that like I've felt myself do it where I feel like I put a person of color in a position where they have to explain something to me or justify something to me, which I've worked really hard on it. I like to think I don't do that very much anymore. But what is it like to be put in that situation where you almost have to like justify your feelings or your existence and what, like, does that question make sense? Yeah. And that was the first thing I told her when she told me about it. Cause she was saying, you know, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And I said, it's great that you were saying your side. I love that you attempted to educate first, but it's also not her responsibility to be someone's token black friend. Yeah. One of the good ones. We live in a world, we have supercomputers in our pocket. You know, there's so many things that you can educate yourself on. Yes, it's okay, especially in a friend situation or something to say, oh, what do you think about this? Or, you know, where do you go get your hair done? But we can't expect people of color to carry the burden of lifting us out of our own ignorance. It's yeah. not part of them. No, not at all. Do you to justify well, things in your life to anybody. Because you, you don't have to answer those questions. Yeah, so it's not fair for us to expect of other people. Do you guys feel like you have to do that a lot? Not very often, but I feel like the times it does happen, it's not too terrible because the people they usually actually want to know but when they just like aren't listening just blowing it over it's just frustrating because you're just wasting time trying yeah. to someone who doesn't care has there any bit ever been like moments when you're like you are discriminating against my kid and i'm not okay and oh absolutely i mean so many I'm thinking especially in a school setting because that's where I'm going and knowing how to point it out and talk about it is going to be helpful, but just like in general too. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the biggest obvious um, thing is just this kind of perceived notion about how black kids are much more likely to be in trouble or get in trouble and just the statistics of the rate that they're even just given detention more mm-hmm. than kids. Um, that's something that I feel like, you know, especially when they were a lot younger and then they were in daycare and, you know, Yana was a hyper kid, but things that they would say that people would just act like, and uh, me knowing that they're genuinely really good kids, you know, 
and then people would say this and this and this and this and like we see more this unintended bias everywhere is that you just know that they're not going to get a fair shake and then that makes me crazy because i feel that i need to advocate for my child but then it's you know at what point where do i step in for their safety or where do i not be the crazy mom so they don't feel like i'm going over their head The last thing I talked about with the girls and Nicole was their experiences within the school systems and just what it was like and who they could go to for help and some of the things that they saw. I feel like the teachers who do care, they're not super, they don't care that we're black just because I feel like it's not important to them. Yeah, like they don't get it and they're not trying to get it. Yeah. They can't get it, but they're not even bothering. Mm -hmm. There are little things um, that I have noticed, especially when they were younger and it was more like art projects and stuff, things that teachers did that seemed so small, but you're like, oh my gosh, this person gets it. Like Kiana had for one of her Excel projects, she made a map of Africa out of... um, yeah, it was, you know, you cut the cardboard and you put tinfoil over it and then frosting and graham and candy. Yeah. Um, whole map of Africa and she literally had different kinds of candy for like every different country. She worked in this for hours and for the whole year, all her teacher could tell, and he was like an old white man. No, it wasn't. Miss Hunt? No, it wasn't Miss Hunt that had that. It was, Mr. what's his Hel- name? The Mr. word. Hel- yes. He was like your all he could talk about was how much he liked this map and that's all he had to say he was like her map of africa was so good i loved her map of africa i loved how much detail she put in it. i can't believe what a good job she did so that's validating to her that's for him not having to talk about you know anything that might be uncomfortable or something that but like that it's as small as what you do with someone else you know all he had to say was i really liked that project she did without saying you know oh, why did you choose Africa when uh, nobody would think twice, you know, that a Chinese China. So just, yeah, like not digging deeper into a conversation that you wouldn't dig into with a white kid, but validating the effort and the time and the importance the project had to you. Without her having to educate someone else about why she chose it. Normalizing their life, and we don't realize that because our lives are so normalized in society. But yeah, yeah. this and it can be normal because it's normal to them. Like say, say I do their hair so good one weekend, and you know they they feel so beautiful and they want to go into school, and a teacher might see them and think that their hair is so beautiful, but feel like they can't say it to them because oh now I'm talking about black hair or and I know that's taboo, so I'm not going to say anything. And this child might think, oh my gosh, I want my teacher to tell me. I'm pretty too. In five hours in the chair, I want my teacher to tell me that I look pretty today. And that teacher wouldn't think twice about telling, you know, a blonde child, oh, did you get a haircut? But they might be intentionally skipping over things like that, thinking that is problematic. But you can say, I really like your hair today without it meaning anything, you know? Yeah, but you can, or you can say, oh, did you get a new hairstyle or, you know, any of that. And, and same thing, they want, they want it to be normalized. 
that is super helpful for as a school counselor because I do like and as a white person there is that weird yeah like, kind oh. of like I don't want to fetishize but yeah. also I noticed your hair looks really cute today and I do want to say something about it yeah yeah exactly don't say oh did you have to go to the shop on MLK to get it done or something you know? yeah yeah, you, I mean, you can tell anything like that, that anything is normalizing. Just think like, would I say the exact duplicate of this to a white child? And, and if I want to give the compliment, how would I say it to a white kid that is just as normal to say to a black kid? Is that yeah, accurate? Exactly. Are there people in your school that you would feel safe talking about your race or like struggles you're having? like? Because like the kid, Asian kid, I guess that answers my question is you didn't feel like you could go to anyone at school. Yeah, I also feel like I would feel more comfortable like a friend talking about it, a close friend, rather than any other teacher, principal or counselor. Mm -hmm. Because they're not the same age, they don't, they're older and they're in charge. So they have to feel like both sides are heard when they're not listening to both sides. Why aren't they listening to both sides? Like in this instance, is it because of the racial piece? Like they can't make the space to hear or is it because they have to, they're, they're in charge. So they have to like play both sides. I feel like because they're in charge, they have to like, they have like, if, cause if say me, me and some other kid got in a fight because he said something to me, like what happened and their mom and the principal or whatever sides with me because I got told something that I shouldn't have had to hear but the the other kid's mom is like that's not fair she hit him because I feel like if they do care something else is going to happen to the point where they have to make it right not they have to make it right because one side is right they have to make it right because the other side does want to be right they want to be told that what happened was unfair to them. Yeah. Do you feel like in that instance, uh, like the restorative justice is kind of where my brain is going of like, you shouldn't have hit him, but also you absolutely should have hit him. And so kind of that weird balance of like, do you feel like a fair way to handle that would have been like a counselor or a teacher taking time to teach the kid and have him do some kind of apologies, some kind of restorative interaction with you, and then having you uh, having that conversation end with "I'm sorry I hit you," but what you said was really offensive and really hurtful. Do you feel like that would have been fair, or do you feel like that even would have negated your experience as a black person? I feel like that would have been fair if the person actually had to learn about what they did was wrong because there have been other times when two kids get in trouble and all they have to do is make up to make everyone happy. they sorry, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because that makes everything better, but they don't get it. Because like when kids bully other kids, they're making fun of them constantly. They get, they have to meet in the principal's office constantly, but they just say sorry because they don't learn. And so like, I feel like if someone had to learn that their mistake was wrong and actually understood it, that would have been better because when they don't, it just keeps happening over and over again. My brain is processing how I would teach someone, like help a kid like that, take perspective of like, no, you really don't understand what horrible stuff happened to my family. 
and how as a counselor I would go about teaching that so and that's not on you guys to answer but that is giving me something I really want to think about in general things like like way broader picture just curriculum based why it's so important to have history from black people's point of view that slavery is not a paragraph this big in a history book you know that yeah. read 12 years a slave and is it going to break all of their hearts yes but these are the stories that these kids are told growing up or you know the things why meditation and things work really well in schools it doesn't have to necessarily be applicable to this situation which is what the school is responding to they're responding schools responding to this thing that happened right now it's more just creating a general culture of open-mindedness yeah. uh, speak listening to understand not listening to respond like you know starting at the bottom and teaching you know having black baby dolls in the classroom having all of those things normalize these things so that when you're in eighth grade there's not these huge problems because they would learn at an early age oh it's okay to talk about the things that happened to you yeah you're catching them too late now yeah and then they have their opinions if you had a multicultural library in your office and a kid came in in second or third grade and you could read them a couple books, like that would do so much more than putting two kids together in a poor situation where one's forced to apologize. I appreciate that you guys are willing to tell me this stuff. There's a weird part of me that was really nervous to do this because I was like, oh, I'm asking them really personal stuff and I don't know if they'll like it. And, but I like, I also am realizing, like, if someone wanted to talk to me about being adopted, I'd be, like, all for it. Like, let me tell you. And yeah, so, and, I was like, and, people want their stories to be told. Yeah. And Especially people who historically haven't gotten a platform. Like, yeah. and I'm like, there's so much we could tell you right now. It, it just, if you're someone who has a heart to listen, you know? The experience of talking with Kiana, Corinne, and Nicole was more powerful than anything I could have imagined. Our families have been so close for so long, and I'm so glad I got to use this opportunity to deepen our relationship. They all had so much insight and taught me so much, but the most surprising part of this whole experience was the emotions I had throughout the process. There were several times where I felt myself choking back tears or fighting back rage because of how they had been treated. I felt so much grief for their ancestors and their family in a way that I've never experienced before. And it all came from this place of complete love for Kiana and Corinne and Nicole. This is the first time I've ever felt what it meant to step into the space in between and I can honestly say it's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. I'm so thankful for this conversation and I can't wait to use what I've learned in my future practice as a school counselor.